This week, we're going to look at, I think, what's probably the most often quoted verse of Scripture from people who don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know where Genesis is. They don't know where Revelation is. But they know this verse. And I think this is important for us to look at because, uh, you know, sometimes as we do this, we might look at these verses and believe they're really not connected to what we were just studying. But I actually think that that the verses are an amplification, an extension of what we studied last week. Uh, and so I, I just want to read in verse 37 these verses and kind of try to connect them for us. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. More people in the United States know the first part of Genesis 37 than any past, Genesis, Luke 37, let's go back. There isn't a Luke 37. It's been a rough morning. I'm just gonna, can we just, it's been one of those days. Luke 6, 37. Everybody knows don't judge, right? I mean, you hear it all the time. And, and, and I think one of the things that we have to wrestle with is what does that mean? What, what does that mean? Because we love to say it, but the first rule of scripture interpretation is that you start with the scripture because it's a dangerous thing for us to take a verse of scripture, pluck it out and stand it up over here by itself. And we're not supposed to do that because you can make the Bible literally say anything you want to if you start to do that. Scripture interprets scripture. And if we just kind of started with verse 37 and simply say the Bible doesn't judge, well, you're right and wrong. Right and wrong. What does that mean? Remember, we're looking at the passage in context of the scripture. And the surrounding scripture from last week taught us something, didn't it? It said that, that as a whole, we were to live with these words. Do you remember this? Love, do good, lend, be gracious, and merciful. And that was the takeaway from last week. And now Jesus begins to build on it. And he's talking about the human condition that actually is right below the surface. And it kind of lives in the spiritual recesses of all of our lives. And it's this idea when Jesus says, don't judge. Now, there are a couple of possibilities for what he might mean right here. It could be that Christians should never make a judgment call about what is right and wrong. Now, that would be nonsensical because we're told to know the difference between right and wrong. And Paul actually told the Corinthian church that they needed to take a close look at themselves to judge themselves, examine themselves. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you're of the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do yourselves not recognize that Christ is in you unless you fail the test? 
Well, how can they be aware of what's right and wrong if they, if they never judge themselves? People who tell us don't judge generally mean something very different. It generally means I don't want you to weigh in on my life. I don't want you to tell me that things are right or wrong. And, and we don't have to make up what's right or wrong, thankfully, this morning because we have the scripture. And because we have the scripture, we have some things that we need to be kind of in agreement about. If the scripture is clear about an issue, you don't have to worry if it's right or wrong. You just do it. There's no like, well, you know, I know God says that, but mm, you are in danger, my friend. When it's clear, we don't have to worry about it. When it's not always clear because it doesn't mention something, often we can grab a scriptural principle. For instance, did you know that the Bible never says the word marijuana? Did you know that? You didn't? It doesn't. This is important because in our country, we are fascinated with marijuana right now. And, and, and we might wonder, well, well, should we smoke marijuana? And, and you know, it's a fascinating, I guess, kind of a curious thing for me because you're not allowed to smoke anywhere. Like, do you remember that whole thing? How many of you remember growing up, you're old enough to remember flying on a plane where everybody smoked? That was awesome. You know? I mean, let's just get cancer right now, you know? Do you remember that? It was awful. And yet, in our country, we believe, well, everyone should smoke marijuana. Well, should we smoke marijuana? What would the biblical principle about? Is there a biblical principle about that? Well, if the Bible says that wine's a mocker, beer's a brawler, those who are led away by them are not wise, hmm, there's a scriptural principle for us. If the Bible says that we're not to be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a scriptural principle for us there, right? Now, where, the, where we can't really draw, where the Bible's just kind of silent on issues, no scriptural principle, then we need to have charity towards one another, don't we? So, so when we look at this, we need to understand what it means. Now, one of the greatest language scholars of the last century points out that this word, don't judge, means to criticize, offer criticism, or even discriminate. And what he's warning is that these believers shouldn't be gracious and merciful. Do you remember that from last week? It said that our God is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. And it says that we are to be gracious and merciful. But one of the things that can happen when we start to become judgmental is that we become prideful, spiritually proud. And when we do that, it clouds our judgment. And we refuse to see that lost people act like lost people. Did, did you know that? I, you didn't? Do you ever wonder why lost people act like lost people? Because they're lost? Guess what? You did the same things. Do you remember that the scripture talks about all this bad stuff and then it says, and you were right there doing all that stuff too. Like, oh, how easily we forget, don't we? That we, before we met Christ, were in the same boat. We were all doing the same thing. And if we're, we're not careful, we fall into this trap where we become like the Pharisees, where we're spiritually proud, looking critically at every person that doesn't measure up to the things that we hold near and dear to our lives. And that's important. The Pharisees were in real danger all the time because they elevated things that they thought were important and diminished other things. Now, 
I want to just remind you that there are probably some things in your life that in the scripture, they're just easy for you. I have some of those things. And maybe some of those things are the same for us. And some of them are different. Aren't there some parts of the scripture that are just hard for you? They are for me. But what we often do when we judge people is, is that we look at the things that are easy for us and we elevate them and we rag on everybody else for the things that are hard for them. Jesus is saying to us, there's a danger here. He says, you need to offer grace. He takes it a step further and says, don't condemn. Instead of forgiving people, we often condemn them. And, and we look at their actions and we think they, we know their destination and their eternity. And as we talked about last week, we're happy about it. And Jesus says, that's not our job. It's a trap to be avoided when we pass judgment on people. Only God knows the true condition of someone's heart. Not me, not you. I've had many people ask me through the years if one of the hardest parts of my job as a pastor is telling people when they're wrong. Do you know that that happens very infrequently? Do you know why? Because you know when you're wrong. Ask your wife. She'll tell you. I mean, you, you, I mean, do you really need someone to tell you when you're wrong? Now, sometimes, right? I mean, there can be some times where we're blind to something, but even with lost people, you know what I found is that the closer that they get to Jesus, they don't need you to tell them they're wrong. It's a funny thing that begins to happen. And what happens to us is we get in trouble. We start condemning people and, and we start telling them that that condemnation is sending them to hell. And, and you know, you see this sometimes if you go downtown and there's a big event, there'll always be somebody standing on the corner yelling at people, telling them that they're going to hell, yelling at them with a megaphone. And is that the way of the master? They may be right, but you can be right and wrong. The way of the master is compassionate. The way of the master draws people to Christ. And I just want to remind you that the things that we hold up and tell people, you're going to hell because of this, we forget something. Do you know why you're going to hell or why we were all condemned to hell? It was the first sin you ever committed. You probably weren't even cognizant of it. Now, we often think it's the big ones. That's such a human thought. That little white lie you told didn't hurt anybody. Condemnation. Because God doesn't see big sins and little sins. It's sin. So we have to remember that because we look at people and say, look at them, big sinners. Woo. Well, what about you? Well, I just said something under my breath in the car today about somebody who was driving. That's not that big a deal. Nobody heard me. I mean, I just told a little, I just fudged the truth a little bit. It's not that big a deal, but it is to the Savior. Going further down the line, Jesus says, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. Now, I want you to see there's a direct connection here. Don't miss it. Do you remember last week we talked about having the character of our Father, right? And that he is forgiving. And the disciples at one point asked Jesus, should we forgive someone seven times? That was the perfect number. He said, no, 70 times seven. So if you're asking this morning, does that person deserve one more chance? Probably. I mean, probably. And, and last week we saw that, that we were to be generous and Jesus follows it up this week by saying, 
We need to be generous in the way we take care of people's physical needs. And, and, and he says there's a direct correlation. Are, are you catching this? Judge and judgment, condemnation and condemnation, forgiveness and forgiveness, generosity and generosity. I mean, they're tied together. How we do this towards other people, it's, it's tied back to us. To be clear, this isn't some kind of lend-lease program Jesus is talking about where we get more stuff if we're generous to people. But all around the world, people know what it's like to experience good and bad times. And I think sometimes we don't think about that as much because our economy, notice the quotation marks, feels a little more insulated. It's not. But for the ancient world, these farmers knew what it was like to have a drought year, a famine, and then a good year. And they had to rely on one another. And Jesus is saying, be generous to people. When times are bad, you're going to need them. And there's a direct correlation to how you give to how you will receive in those times. Now, to be clear, we're not talking about karma. This is way bigger than karma. This is God the Father telling us these things. And, and some of us need to understand, we still haven't gotten this. We need to understand that, that, that we're not getting ahead by hoarding our resources because we missed the whole thing. They were never ours to begin with. We're stewards of these things. So God tells us that when we give to someone or to him, the blessing comes back to us and, and we're held accountable for how we steward these things. But I want you to not forget this measurement piece at the end. He says, how you give, that same measurement's given back to you. And I know there's this internal dialogue often that happens when someone asks us to help them. You know, we see someone in their need and we think, well, golly, they probably did this, 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 and this to probably get in this point. I don't really want to give them that much. They're probably going to use it on booze. They're probably going to use it on drugs. I mean, all these kinds of things. And Jesus is saying, one day when you're in need, somebody's going to be saying those same things about you. We were talking about homelessness years ago. And my father one time said, I just try to give to people in the way that I hope they give to me one day. That's a great rule to live by, isn't it? For us to be able to do that. But now our passage takes an interesting twist because Jesus gives us a parable so that we'll learn in a deeper meaning. Look at verse 39 again. He told them a parable. That's how we know. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? And you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will cl see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now, there's an obvious danger for following a blind guide, isn't there? When the blind lead the blind, you don't know where the danger is. And you fall off the precipice, don't you? And Jesus often referred to the Pharisees and the scribes in this way. He said, they are blind guides leading the blind. They shouldn't be doing it. The religious leaders had failed the people. And he calls his disciples to make sure that they're following the true teacher because he says, what these people are putting into your lives, you become. And that's an important thing for us to all remember. The people who are speaking into your lives, that's what you're going to become. Are they pushing you towards Jesus? Are they reflecting the character of Christ? 
Are, are they pointing you in that way? And, and that's an Im- important thing for us. A number of years ago, a friend of mine told a story that I think kind of illustrates what happens when we don't follow the real teacher. He was new to the area and they were going somewhere for a lunch and so he used his phone to get directions. And he got in the car and he said, you know, it should have been like a 10 minute trip. And about 15 minutes into it, like we're no closer to where we should be. And I'm totally lost and I don't understand what's going on. And he said, but then somebody asked me, why are there two different voices? He'd unwittingly opened two different navigation apps and turned them both on. So one would tell him to turn left and then the other would say, no, turn back right. And then one, and he said, we were driving in a big circle, just totally lost. That, that's kind of what's going on here, isn't it? And, and so what we're to be is the reflection of who Christ is. We'll come back to that. But the last part of the parable is one that you might be familiar with. Jesus said, you have to avoid removing the speck in your brother's eye, the splinter in your brother's eye, before you get rid of the two by four, the timber, or the plank sticking out of your own eye. None of us would want to go to an eye doctor or an eye surgeon that was having double vision that day. It would be problematic, wouldn't it? As he brought the scalpel towards your eye and said, now, is that on the left or the right? You might think we ought to hold up here for just a second and you should go see the doctor and then come back to me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Now, you all know how troubling it can be if you get something in your eye. It, it's not as if Jesus is saying that the speck is not a big deal. You get something in your eye. We've had this happen in our family. We've had to take one of us to the eye doctor and get that eye flushed out and, and cleaned out because we couldn't do it. I mean, it, it, it's annoying. It's troubling. And it can be a little bit debilitating, can it? But, but Jesus is saying to us, there's a massive difference. People often want to excuse the little speck, and he's not excusing that. I want you to hear me when I say this. Jesus doesn't excuse your sin. Jesus dealt with your sin and cleansed you from your sin. Big difference. Excusing my sin says, act like it doesn't matter. Now, this is, do you have children in the home or grandchildren? Can I give you just, I don't, I don't try to give you a lot of parenting advice and that kind of thing all the time, but this is one you need to take home with you. When you have kids and they're in a dust up and one says, I'm sorry, they've stopped short and don't let somebody say it's okay. It's not okay. Or you wouldn't be talking about it. Start by saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And then the offended party says, yes, I forgive you. That's a biblical model for us, isn't it? We're not excusing it. It's not like it didn't happen. That's not what Jesus does is say, hey, no big deal. Now that's what people wanna do. Excuse my sin. Jesus went to the cross for your sin. He dealt with it head on and we must do the exact same. You can't excuse it. You've got to deal with it. And the only way to deal with it is to run to the cross and let Jesus save you from your sin and be forgiven of your sin. It's the only way. You can't excuse it. You can't act like it's no big deal. It's a big deal. It sent Christ to the cross. But often that speck does need to be dealt with That splinter needs to be dealt with, but we don't need somebody blind doing it. Now, I'm gonna ask you a question. How aware are you of your own faults? Honestly, are you a really self-aware person? Most of us are not. That's why the scripture says, search me and try me, O Lord, and reveal my 
hidden faults. Why is he saying that? He's saying it because there's this tendency in our lives where, where we don't know everything, right? We, we, we've smashed some things down. We've hidden some things. We've put them away. And he's saying to us that we need the Holy Spirit's help to be able to do that in our lives. So it's troubling, isn't it, how critical we can be of other people and miss our own faults. And Jesus is telling us we better be ruthless in our examination of our own lives and spend the majority of our time making sure we're right with the Father before we worry about anybody else. I think there's a big danger here. Our legalism starts to take the place of the Holy Spirit's work. So what, what that means is, is we set up some rules that we like to follow and then we look at everybody that's not following those things and they're not following those things that are easy for us to follow and we just criticize them. And, and that criticism starts to happen and it leads to nowhere good. I'm not saying we should never point out a fault. The scripture says there's a time for that. In fact, there's a text in Proverbs that says criticism's not always bad in the life of a believer. Listen to this. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy. I, I learned this verse so many years ago to say the wounds of a friend are faithful. But the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Sometimes a friend needs to tell you the truth. And if you don't have friends that tell you the truth, you don't have any friends. You have some people around you. People to hang out with, but you don't have friends if they won't tell you the truth. But when we read that verse, we understand that sometimes the truth does hurt and sometimes God uses that in our lives and sometimes he uses us to be the friend who tells the truth to someone, but it must be done with the utmost caution. I want you to listen to what Alexander McLaren said about this and I quote, our discernment of others' faults must be compassionate, not to be followed by condemnation nor self-complacency, but by loving efforts to help a cure. I mean, that's an incredible thing. Our discernment of those faults should be compassionate, first of all, and then loving to help find a cure. And when we find ourselves critical of others all the time, what we're doing is, is we're being just like the Pharisees. And it's so easy to do. We don't even realize it. And it's spiritual pride. A number of years ago, one of my very best friends in this world said to me, he said, I, I think you're dealing with an issue of pride. And I was a little bit flabbergasted by that because, uh, I mean, if you've ever tried to follow me on social media, you can't because I don't really ever do anything. I don't have anything to post. I don't tell you, I don't run around the state talking about how great Judson is. I mean, I don't say we got it all right. I mean, it's just, I don't feel braggadocious all the time. And he said, I want you to read this book. And the first kind of part of this book said, when you're critical of other people, you're prideful. And I was like, ouch. Critical of other people. Judgy. Why do they do that? I could do that better. Our school doesn't understand anything. My job is filled with idiots. They don't understand anything about what, if I was doing that, I would have never done that. Now, I want you just to imagine something with me. Imagine that this fall, on a Sunday morning, I decided not to preach here and instead got in my car and drove to the University of Tennessee and knocked on the door of the head football coach. And I said, coach, I got a few pointers for you. I was watching the game yesterday and 
Offensive looked a little uh, sluggish. And I feel like if you would implement these things, he might look at me and say, who are you? Well, I was the guy watching the game in my recliner at home, obviously. Um, How much football have you played? Well, when I was growing up, we had some pretty fierce two-hand touch football games in our neighborhood. And that's about it. I never put on a helmet or nothing. And he might just shut the door. But don't we do that all the time? Do you talk about things, I mean, can we be honest? Do you talk about things you have no idea about, really? I mean, do you do that? Yes, you do it. Because I do it too. We're awful. We criticize everybody and everything and we need to learn to do something. Our younger kids, that was last week. Our younger kids aren't in here. If you're younger in here, this please. We need to learn to shut up. Be quiet. Because we don't know everything. And it's important for us to adopt an attitude of humility. It's not the way of the teacher to act like we know better than everyone else. And I want you to remember one of the greatest verses you never memorized. Ready for this? You memorized the first one, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you didn't memorize that as a young child, you should now. Go back and memorize it. It's the gospel in a nutshell. But the next verse is so important. Don't miss this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When we take over the role of the Holy Spirit, we inhibit the work of the Holy Spirit most often than not. When you go around telling everybody what they're doing wrong and point out, you're inhibiting the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. God doesn't need our help for that. He's awesome at it. So as we approach these things, we need to understand that that sometimes the most powerful change that that we can affect is is to show people that the, the ointment that they need for their eye is not the words that we have them for them, not the words that we have for them, but it's the life of Christ that we're living in our lives and show them that. I can't tell you how many times it's happened that a husband and wife have come in for like some marriage counseling and, and one of them will start saying, he or she does this, 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 this. You know I mean? It's a whole list of things. And they're probably not wrong about that whole list of things. But the focus is all wrong. And you try to point them to, to think about themselves. Well, how could you be a better spouse? Let's set that person aside. How could you be a good spouse this week? How could you be a good spouse this moment? How could you allow the Lord to work in your life? And, and I've had it on a number of occasions where people came back and, and they said, you know, I didn't realize, but I was the problem. Not my spouse. It was me. I was nitpicking them to death. And I was blind to my, I mean, we do this all the time. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way of the master. So let's sum this up this morning. It's not wrong to make a judgment call about a behavior and question whether it's right or wrong. We have the scripture to do that for us. And you need to be able to do that. But it should never come with condemnation about someone else's behavior. Secondly, We need to be more humble in our approach to helping someone to see their problem. 
If we have to do that, maybe the first place that we should start before we ever run off and tell somebody about how they're a bum or they're no good or they need to do something better, it maybe should start with some extended prayer time with the Lord for ourselves that just says, Lord, I don't know. I'm trying to discern, should I speak about this? And while I wait, Lord, would you speak to me about me? Because I don't want to be a blind guide. I don't want to be someone who is walking around with a two by four sticking out of my eye while I try to get a little speck out of my brother or sister's eye. God, help me to see my hidden faults. God, help me to see the places in my life that are blind spots for me. Finally, we must examine ourselves and let Christ be our teacher. And we must be ruthless in it. Do you know why? Because the heart is deceptive and wicked and it's just hard to ever get to the truth. I often think that I have very altruistic motives. But sometimes they're not as noble as I think they are. I'd really like to help you so that you could help me. I'd really like to do this because it would come around. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we don't even realize it sometimes. And so we have to be ruthless in our examination. And that's going before the Holy Spirit and just saying, I don't want any of this in my life. So I want to give you freedom, Holy Spirit, to have the opportunity to work in my life and cleanse me and make me right and keep me close to the Father. Because in keeping me close to the Father, my life will be an ointment for other people. They'll be able to see it. There'll be some overflow that comes out of that. And I don't have to run around telling everybody what they're doing wrong and how they need to be right. And if I find myself doing that, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. It's pretty awesome to watch how God will work in ways that you can't imagine when you just start praying about these kinds of things. We value prayer, don't we? We just never do it. Prayer's important. How much did you pray this week? How, how many times did you take your problems to the Lord? You, you see what I'm saying? We, we go before the Lord and, and the Holy Spirit works in us and he works in our friend, our loved one, and, and we can trust God to do that. I tell you this regularly, but the Holy Spirit has three jobs when it comes to lostness and, and, and shaping people. We see it from the Gospel of John, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is great at it. He's awesome. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Is there maybe a little bit of a spiritual pride that needs to come out of your life? Is there a smugness towards other people? that just needs to be dealt with? Is there a condemning spirit? Is there a judgmental and unforgiving spirit in your life? It just needs to be dealt with this morning. Is it this morning that there's the, the, the plank sticking out of your eye and you are of no use to anyone else till you deal with that? Let's be ruthless this morning to go before the Lord and say, have your way with me. Search me and try me and I'm gonna forget about them I trust you with them. You, you deal with them, Lord. Help me to trust you, but you deal with me. Let's bow for prayer. Father, how hard it is for us to confess our own faults and easy it is 
for us to look and nitpick everyone else to death. Father, when we are critical, we are not like you. When we're condemning, we're not like you. Father, when we're unforgiving, we're so not like you. Would you help us this morning to have your heart and your character and let our lives be a refreshing breeze that blows across the city and points people to the Savior? God, forgive us when we have failed in these areas. We ask Jesus for you to be our teacher this morning, to lead us, and Lord, to live to the standard that you've set for us. We pray for the one who might be here this morning who's been trying to excuse their sin, not realizing that Jesus will cleanse them from their sin. God, would you save them? How we love you. In your name we pray, amen.